This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. So we're doing things a bit differently today. Instead of an accessibility story roundup, we decided to bring on uh, one of our producers, Paul Daniel, who brought a story forward that we started having a a deep conversation about off-air. And, you know, we kind of figured, why don't we just do this on-air so everyone else can... uh, can hear it and get engaged. So uh, I want to bring in Paul Daniel, who brought a story about all-terrain wheelchairs now being available in U.S. national parks, which is part of our poll question today. Paul, good morning. How are you doing? I'm fine, Alex. How are you doing? Oh, I am doing just peachy. You know, I'm, I'm jumbling up a few words this morning, but uh, other than that, I'm, I'm doing fine. So let's talk about this story. What was it about it that caught your eye and caught your attention? Well, you know, sometimes when I, when I hear talk about inclusion and accessibility, it's always couched in language that pretends it's some type of place in the future, when in fact, the technology the, is already, to make it happen is already available. Now, and this story example shows accessibility and inclusion isn't some far off nirvana. It's here, and it's very doable. And sometimes it's, uh, it, it's, like, it's, it's not that far in the future. It's here, and I think that sometimes it's just the the will that's necessary, and and this also makes a lot of sense. It's a simple to do, and it's it's and the benefits of uh, when you do it are immense. Absolutely. Now, can you talk a bit about these all-terrain uh, wheelchairs? Like, what do they look like? How do they operate? Sure. Okay. Well, the Action Track chair, which is being used in the uh, Georgia, uh, some of the Georgia program, uh, in some of the national parks in Georgia, uh, they're equipped with tank-like tracks capable of traversing rocks, roots, streams, and uh, sand. So they can clear fallen trees, they can plow through tall grass, and they can tackle uphill climbs. They can go over a tree trunk, they can go through snow, they can manage through swamps and wetland, whereas someone using a wheelchair, just a sort of a, you know, your basic uh, standard wheelchair, might get stuck in a matter of minutes. And the user can use it uses a switch or a toggle to navigate the device, much like a power chair. Right, and, and so and these, are... and these chair. So one thing I want to add about the cost of these yeah. chairs is twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Wow. That may vary, but these particular chairs are twelve thousand five hundred dollars in Georgia. Yeah. Now, so are all national parks in the U.S. making these uh, these wheelchairs available? This is a gradual process in the United States that began in 2017 when the Colorado Parks and Wildlife launched its own accessibility program, providing free adaptive equipment, um, although the guests do pay a small entrance fee to the park of $10. Uh, Since then, Michigan, South Dakota, and now Georgia have introduced similar programs. Three years ago, the uh, Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore, I had to to check the name of that, the Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore in Michigan became the first national park to offer a track chair. And that program is slowly expanding. Minnesota just wrapped up a pilot project of a similar nature and is assessing it uh, whether to go forward. And so far, the results have been rather fairly positive from what I've read. So, you know, there is, so it's, again, it's a patchwork effort. It's not a blanket, but there are more states in, the, in, in, in America are beginning to go that way. Yeah, and it, it seems like whenever I, I explore something when it has to do with accessibility and, and new programs, oftentimes it's, the U.S. tends to lead the way on issues like this, where they will put more effort, more energy. The ADA, uh, the 
um, act in the U.S. seems to be a lot stronger and a lot more mm-hmm. forceful in, in creating change. So how does this program compare to what our accessibility is like in Canada with our national parks? Well, much, much like our American friends, accessibility and inclusion is still an ongoing and inconsistent process when it comes to enjoying our 37 national parks and 10 national park reserves. Under the Accessible Canada Act, our national parks must be made barrier-free by 2040. So that there is some, still some time. The good thing is there's an ongoing, ongoing project called Accessible, Park Can- Accessible Parks Canada by the Kite Research Institute, which is the group's research arm of the uh, Toronto Rehab Institute. Um, and Kite is researching ways to make the country's national parks more accessible. And they've identified some of the devices that already exist that can be used by people with disabilities to enjoy the uh, to enjoy the natural surroundings in those areas. Again, it's a patchwork effort. Not all parks are, are, have gone this way, but again, it's a slow effort to go that way. If I give you some examples of what they're, what they're looking at, a wearable mo- mobility for the blind and partially sighted, like uh, the immersive buzz clip, the Addy Roommate, which provides audio descriptions of surroundings, and the, mobile, and the Atlantic chair, a fully accessible water chair, which is, we, we did a story about that a few months ago, uh, and some parks, some beaches in Ontario are doing that now. And, and, a, and something very basic, a mobile washroom with lift and adult size change table. That, that sounds like a wonderful idea. It, it just sounds basic, right? And, and, but the, and the good thing is, it's here. The technology is available. It's not, not in the experimental stage. Yeah, uh, for me, I always find it very fascinating in Canada mm-hmm. that it, it's almost left up to organizations to... to different accessibility um, charities and and, uh, groups to really kind of push forward this change to kind of prove that this is a need and that it's doable to make these changes. Whereas, you know, in the States, it's it's done through the national park system here. As you mentioned, it's a, uh, a research uh, project through a, uh, through an organization in Toronto. It's like, this should be something that is done through the provincial government done through the federal government, but it's left up to, organization to really have to kind of lift up these issues and, and vocalize and, and, and showcase why there yeah. is a need for accessibility in our park system. It's It, it, it can be very frustrating sometimes. Politi- there are some politicians who have been very active in speaking up on this on this issue, uh, on the value of accessibility and making parks barrier-free. But again, it's a slow and it's a slow slog, as it were. And like I said, Change and progress never move fast enough for most of us. But the one good takeaway, is, as I said before, is that the technology it does exist. It's commercially available. And I think what's needed is the, is the effort to ensure that these devices are made available in the national parks, uh, at least get, to get it done by 2040. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's the, the positive, that there is this end goal yeah. date that we have to meet. So in terms of you know, the accessibility accommodations, like, what do you think of, of these both in Canada and in the U.S.? You know, I think if you ask any person with disabilities like myself or even yourself there, Alex, it's um, long overdue. And we're, we're behind, we're behind, we're behind schedule. We should, we should have been here at these places long ago, but we're getting there. You know, progress and change, like I said, are never, are never, are never fast enough, uh, but it's moving in the right direction. It's going in the right direction, and pretty soon, you know, as time goes on, that you know, people like people with disabilities can enjoy the natural surroundings. That's the good thing about it. It's very, it's we're far closer to it now than we've ever been before. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and just based on the different national parks I've I've had a chance to go mm-hmm. and visit through through my time, even just working with AMI, it's like 
the more we can share that experience with other members of the disability community, I mean, the better it will be because there's just something beautiful being able to just go and see the natural beauty that our our country holds. So, uh, Paul, thank you so much for for bringing this story forward and, and having this conversation. I think it's a meaningful one. It's it's one that probably doesn't get enough attention, but it's sorely overdue. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Alex. Always good talking to you. <laughs> so that was one of our producers, Paul Daniel, joining us from Mississauga, Ontario. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.